The Lord be with you, everyone. And tonight I want to take a parenthesis from our studies in the Beatitudes, and I want to share a very simple text, uh, one that is foundational to everything that we believe, and yet because of its being familiar to us, it's very often that it's the familiar that we never bother to really understand. We know it so well, we slide across it. And so I want to stop and dig deep into the words of this text from the first epistle of John. And in chapter 4, let me read from verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the place of substitution for our sins. That verse, I say, it is one that if you've been around our ministry for any length of time, you will have heard that verse many times quoted or spoken around because, I say again, it is foundational. And I am afraid when anything is foundational and we quote it and look at it many times, that familiarity can uh, arise a certain blindness to what is right in front of our nose. We've read it so many times, we've heard it so many times, we miss what it is really saying. And so I want to look at it tonight, um, that the very first thing that that verse tells us is that the presence uh, of Jesus in our history is not to be thought of as some uh, accidental you know, arrival on the planet of a, an unusual human being. No, it, it tells us very plainly, it lays us out that Jesus, Son of God, is here because sent of the Father. Jesus is here, and I'll say it now, explain it later, God from God. And He is the, listen to me, intentional and the ultimate unveiling of God's gift of love. I say intentional because this was not a whim. This is not a hiccup in history, but from the very creation, in fact, before the creation, this was the intention of the Holy Trinity that Jesus, Son of God, should come and take to himself our humanity. It's intentional. It is that moment within our time where the timeless love of God entered in and things will never, cannot ever be the same again. It's the ultimate unveiling of God's gift of love. In the Old Testament, there are rays, shall I say, of the, the sunlight of God's love. But here is the full sun, that which was anticipated spoken of in very veiled terms in the Old Testament, is now unveiled. And we see with blinding clarity the enormity, the vastness, shall I say the recklessness, the relentlessness of God's unconditional love toward us. Now, the, the first thing when we look at this love which God has for us um how can I say, just the, the very first, use the word love, and suddenly much of what the world says concerning God falls apart. Because, you see, when I say love, then immediately I am speaking of relationship. You, you understand? I go into the world and they speak of God as a higher power, emphasis on the word power. Um, I, I go among many persons who speak freely of God Almighty. And although that is true, in the same breath I say it's not true. For we are not dealing with God who is raw power. 
When we say God Almighty, we think of many uh, images that might include an atomic explosion. God of power. And I, I hear some of my first friends in Christ, um, that they would speak of the power of God. And you almost had to learn how to say it to, to give the vibration of this power of God. And again, I know what they mean, God bless them, but we have to recognize that the power of God is rooted in love and therefore cannot be understood as any power that we've seen on this earth. You see, I say again, if God is love, if Jesus is the manifestation of that love, then the first thing I have to understand concerning God is that he is limitlessly personal. He's not an it. He's not a power. And to some of our friends out there, he's not the universe. No, he's not an it. He's not part of creation. He is the creator. And he is original, limitless person from whom we get uh, our personhood. Um, but, But he's person and he is relational. Love speaks of relationship. Love is a God who is the communicating God. And that's just by saying the word love. Those things are givens. They are a must. And so that's the God we're looking at, the God who is love, and everything we know of God comes to us through that lens of love. He is love, and he is infinitely personal. It makes us look like shadowy ghosts. He is the real, shall I say, the solid person. And that person loves us, which means he communicates. Love must communicate. Love speaks. Love reaches out. And that's who he is. And it says that in the coming of Jesus, herein is the love of God made manifest, or the the curtains are drawn back and the light floods in. We see clearly manifest. Now, the word that is used there for love must be clearly understood. It is, and many of you have heard this word before, it's the Greek word agape. And that word was uh, specifically chosen by the Holy Spirit. I, I say that because the word on the streets of Greece and Rome in the period of time in which the New Testament was written was not that word agape. It was another word, eros. And the word agape was essentially not known. I say essentially, it was in their dictionary. It was a word for love, but it was a weak word. That is, it just meant love. A perfect word for the Holy Spirit to take out of hiding and to fill it with his definition and cause it to become the word that describes perfectly the love of God. God is love, and that word is agape. Uh, and, And that's what these verses use, this word agape. And so what is agape? Well, then, if that all be the case, we must never, never confuse agape with eros. We can never Please, can, can you slide down into that never, never can we confuse God's love with human love? Or to put it another way, God's love is not human love on steroids. I, I say that because um, we, we have uh, many persons who would um, actually think in, in those terms. Um, that God's love is just our love, only blown up to to a, a greater extent. No, it's not. God's love is, in many respects, completely opposite to human love. And, and so we have to recognize this utter difference. Also, one can understand that the word eros 
is a word that has been twisted and distorted by the lie, the great lie of Satan, which said the meaning of life is in oneself. And he turned the whole of the human inward and said, you shall be as God. That is, life is about you. You are the sun and the planets circle around you. And so human love has within it that self for myself. And so you could define eros as that which is craving, that which reaches for the highest. It it must have the highest. It it cannot settle for anything less than. It, it, It craves the highest. And it craves the very best and the most beautiful it must have for itself and must have it now. And on first thought, then, the craving after beauty and the craving after uh, that which is highest and best, what is wrong with that? And in a sense, one could ask that question because it was Eros that gave us the great art uh, of the Greeks and the ancients. They, They craved after perfection. But when it comes to humans and the the human uh, eros uh, will love, in the terms of eros, only the highest, only the most beautiful, only the best kind of human being in the eyes of eros. And so eros always draws circles and, and say, you're worthy of being in my circle because I perceive you as being the highest, best, and most beautiful, but others are outside of my circle. And of course, as humans, as creatures, we, we are not becoming more glorious, but our human bodies and our creatureliness is... is it's, it's diminishing. And what was the highest and best and most beautiful five years ago may not be that now or ten years from now, you see. And, and so Eros is fickle, that, that now that which was a must in life is no longer a must. Something else has taken its place. And, and so that is human love, always reaching upward and for the highest and best. Never confuse God's love with that. Never, never. That, that is the curse of much of religion, that it sees God as only desiring that which is the best and the beautiful, those that are the righteous and have kept his commands and dedicated their lives and so on. The rest, well, he draws a circle and says, you're on the outside, try harder. Human love has a sense of need within it. And it goes in order to find that piece of the jigsaw that fits my need. Well, that's not God's love. God does not need us. He's not a needy God. For you see, agape, God is agape. Within God, one God, we have three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And those three are bonded together with agape. And within the Holy Trinity, there is the fellowship and the joy and the peace and the contentment, divine friendship. There is no need, no pressure upon God that he would reach out to anything else. There is no need in God that he should be lonely without something else. No, God is not Eros. These factors are not there. Then what is agape? Agape, God's love, arises from the very heart of God, the very being of God. Shall I say the very essence of God? This, when we say God, is who he is, love. And that is why the Scripture says elsewhere, God is love. Underline that word, is, in purple, is love. And by that, I have to say then, he doesn't merely have love. I'm not playing with words here. If God is love, 
then it's not a matter of him having love, even a vast amount of love. God doesn't have love. He is love. For if he has love, it is an appendix to him. It's something added on. And if it's added on, then today he could be less loving than he is tomorrow. Or tomorrow may be not as loving as today. You follow me. Uh, There's an ebb and flow when one has something, but God doesn't have love. He is love. If you want definition of love, you must find it in the heart of God himself. You see, if he merely had love or shall I say was loving, well, there might be another side to the character of God, as many religious people believe, that that when we say God is love, they look at you and nod and say, yes, of course, but, and go on almost to say that there's a dark side of the moon, there's a side of God that you're, you're not too sure about, you see, he might lash out at you. Well, then you would have a God of moods. He would be in a good mood today or a bad mood. You would never know what you're approaching and you'd cower before him and hope that you were cowering successfully to impress him. God would have his good days and bad days. You you follow me. But you see, when I say God is, that is, that that is sinking to your deepest heart. This is the essence of God. This is his being. Or to put it this way, he cannot be other than he is. He is love. Or could I put it this way, that God doesn't love you because of something you've done. God doesn't love you because you're the kind of chap that you are. God loves you because he is love, and that's what love does. He cannot be other than himself. And therefore, when I turn and face this God, I know one thing for sure, that coming from him to me is limitless love, boundaryless love, unconditional love, because that's the way God is. Or you could put it this way, God is love. Well, God is is outside of time. He created time, but he himself is the timeless one. When we think of God, we, we think beyond our thoughts because we think of the unbegun and the unend, and I can't think that. All I know is that when I come to God, there is no ancient history. There is never a thing in God that was and then it got old and it isn't there anymore. He doesn't look back on the events of Scripture and say, ah, those were the days. No, there is no past in that sense in God, and, and nor is there in any sense uh, the, the sort of future that we are trapped in, that, well, I wish I could do something, but it's going to take six weeks to get my stuff together. No, God is. Let that is, I say, throb within you. This love that I confront, that has been manifested in Jesus Christ is timeless love. Timeless. And therefore, what does that mean? It means that all that he is, he is in every moment. There is never a tick-tock, tick-tock in which God is not, and never a tick talk in which God is not present in all that he is. He's never there less than he is or more than he is. He is. And there's never a moment excluded. God is love. Love. Agape. What, what is agape? Agape is, and this is the very, I, I, I'm trying to say this, the, it's the inner heart, the inner purpose of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. It's the, it is the deity, it is the very essence of deity that I come there and 
Agape is the passionate. Yes, God is passionate. He's not the blah thing in outer space that some people call God. He's passionate. And it is the passionate movement. Love, by definition, must reach out. Love, by definition, is movement. It's the movement of his being. It's an inner drive of God to unite. And so that begins in God himself. God is love. And so when I meet with God, if God is love, then I expect within God that there is love of one to another, father to son, son to father, the Holy Spirit be ever-present love to the Father, to the Son, and the celebration of this wild love. But I also, God is love, then it's the passionate movement, not only that is the unity bond of the Holy Trinity, but it is reaching out to us to reunite us to Him reunite us into that fellowship of infinite love and joy and limitless peace. For Adam lost it by believing the satanic lie. But the love of God did not blink, but continued to reach out to humankind to reunite us to the blueprint of our existence, to be participators in by sheer gift of that fellowship of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if you just heard me. I I was saying that the same love, do I have to say this very slowly, the same love that pulsates of the Father to the Son to the Spirit The same love that is celebrated between God the Father, God the Son. That same love which is the holy dance of God. That same love is the love that right at this micro moment is reaching to each and every one of us. It is that same love that right at this moment embraces us that whatever's happening to us physically, materially, in our essential selves, we are in the embrace of the Holy Trinity. For God doesn't have two loves. He doesn't have the sort of grade A love that you'll find within the Holy Trinity and then a grade C and D love, which is meant for lesser creatures, maybe a XYZ love for some poor soul in the gutter. no. God doesn't have many loves. There's no degree of love within God. He is love, period. And therefore, the love that throbs within the Holy Trinity is the love that he has toward you this very moment. That's the way it is. And, And you see, that's the goal of agape. And that's how we understand what this word means, to to follow to its goal. What is the goal? That you should have eternal life. Now, what is eternal life? Oh, that is so sad how that word has been twisted from its original meaning. Uh, And we've got this this thing, it just means live forever, and you're going to live forever, happy or sad or whatever. No, that doesn't work. Eternally, it's what I was talking about a moment ago. It's the timeless God, the, the God who unbegun, the God who unend, and, and therefore the God unchange, the God who is the fullness of who he is, is. And, and that love that knows of no ebb and no flow of no was and no will be, but just in limitlessly is, has come into our time. (laughs) And so when it comes into our time, then we use the term is and now. That's eternal life. 
that in this moment now, I am actually in the reception and receiving and in the heart of the love that never began and never ends, but is the fullness of God's life and joy and peace. The unbegun, unending God life that is love, that is now enjoyed where I live, where I am, what is happening to me in that now is moment I dwell in his love. That's eternal life. That, that might take some thinking after what many people believe eternal life is. Well, okay, let me give it to you from John chapter 17, verse 21, where Jesus sums up his mission. He has come. He has done all that he was sent to do. And he now is talking with his father as the moments that will take him to the cross are but a few. And just before he leaves to go to the cross, he is sharing with the father all he's done, and that this was the great goal and mission in John seventeen twenty one, And he speaks of us, and he speaks very specifically of us. He says that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. Did you hear that? He's speaking about you, I say specifically because he said those who believe through the preaching of the apostles, those, those who come to know Jesus through what they say and write, that's you and I. And he says they may be one in the same fashion as the Father is in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father, that they also may be in us. Did you hear that? That this is eternal life, that you, where you sit, listening to my words, you are in the Father, in the Son. That's, that's Christianity. That's eternal life. And that happens that the world may believe that thou didst send me, the glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them. Have you ever read this before? That they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, thou in me. That they may be perfect in unity. That the world may know. That's it. That thou descend me. You love them even as thou didst love me. The Father loves you the same way as he loved Jesus. For there's no degrees to God's love. That the love wherewith thou didst love me may be in them and I in them. This, this is Agape's goal. This is the movement of God to bring you to such a unity with himself that you... I, I've said you're in the embrace of God. I'm, I'm sorry I didn't say that strong enough. It's more than embrace. It is what embrace seeks for, that the Father not only embraces you, is in you, and you are in Christ, and Christ is in the Father. The ultimate embrace, I guess. And let me say this. Did you notice there's Father and there's Son and Spirit, and they are one and yet obviously distinct? The Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Father. And then he says that we should be in Christ and Christ in the Father. But it's talking about you, me, Jesus, the Father. So I speak of this union with God to ex with extreme language. 
But never think that you have been absorbed into God. That is a false Eastern religion. You are not absorbed into God any more than Jesus is absorbed into the Father. No, you you are forever you, the unique you, in a union through Jesus with the Father, wherein you revel in the love which God has for you. It's the goal of agape. But of course, agape, must uh, we must talk more of agape, because if that shall ever be, that union, then it demands that every barrier that humankind has erected to be separated from God, every barrier they were taught of Satan to erect, that must be torn down and blown away by the wind of God. The great lie of the Garden of Eden must be destroyed, shattered, and the liar behind the whole thing must be exposed. And the sin arising from the lie must be so taken away. Mankind must be released from sin so that there is nothing now between man and God. That's Agape's agenda. And in the coming of Jesus, Agape was manifested and therefore he achieved it. And we say with John in John one twenty nine, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, a person that has not seen and known the love of God is forever feeling guilt and shame, forever trying to get rid of the sense of sin by whichever way they think is going to do it. But when you have confronted the love of God in Jesus Christ, then you recognize sin has been taken away, period. It's done. Or as the ancient prophet Jeremiah said, speaking of these days, he says, your sins and your iniquities or your twistedness, I will remember no more. Why? Because it's gone. There is no sin consciousness in the presence of God. There is no sense of guilt. There is no sense of shame because the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. And you stand now. Yes, I'm talking about you. You you stand now within the family of God by sheer gift Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are there because God. They're there by divine nature. We are there by gift. We're there because love came, love dealt with our sin, and love brings us into this family. By sheer gift, says in Galatians 4, that we and again, talking of you and I, we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And Abba is the most primitive language of a child. It's, it's akin to the first word a child says here in our English-speaking world, dada, daddy, daddy. And the only difference is that word Abba is not only daddy in the lisping talk of a child, but is also that contains the awesome respect that uh, an elder son would use uh, long into adulthood. But it mean, what it's saying for sure is you are part of the family, you stand with Jesus, he's the Son, and upon you has been bestowed the adoption, you are sons. And the Holy Spirit comes within your spirit and says, it's for real. And he, he dances over us and says, Abba, Father, 
and you go with his word and dare to say, yes, you're my father, you're my daddy. Huh, it's agape. God achieved his end. Agape, it is the, it's the freedom of God. Freedom because it's God being God. It's, it's God with no pressure, God with no one trying to manipulate is just God in the freedom of being who he is, choosing to be who he is. See, he doesn't have to do this. But he's the freedom of God, self-obligated. He chooses. And with every free choice comes delight and joy. You do understand that, don't you? That that joy can only exist where there's no rules making you do it. You know, if if you uh, if you're experiencing great joy, it's because no one has told you you've got to be happy. No, no one has put you in this position and says you will do this and you will enjoy it. No, joy always. Is there's no rules, there's no boundaries, there's no have to or must or should or ought. It's free, freedom, free, liberation, and love is that ultimate liberation to to love and to give oneself away by choice and to. Then delight in the beloved. The joy of God is is so real that um, well, do you remember back in that prophet Zephaniah? I'm sure every one of you reads Zephaniah before you go to bed at night. Zephaniah, in chapter three seventeen. He speaks of the Lord your God like a mighty warrior in the midst. And then it says, he will sing over you for joy. And he goes on to say, he will rest in his love as a mother crooning over her child. So the Lord will take you and rejoice over you with great singing and shouting for joy. Do you ever think of God like that? The God who is utterly free from all constraints and constrictions. And in his freedom of choice, he took a hold of you and holds you within himself and sings his lullabies of joy and peace over you. You say, well, that's Old Testament. Yeah, that was in the days when they hadn't quite got the whole message. So if, <laughs> yeah, that, that means that the, when, when Jesus arrived, the, the singing gets louder and, and, and the song becomes more. In, in fact, in the book of Revelation, it speaks of the, the church singing a new song. That is a song so glorious. They learned it straight from the lips of God. Well, what about John fifteen eleven? Jesus, in the first 10 verses, has been speaking to them pretty much what I've just been talking about, of he love achieving its end by living inside them, and they living inside of him, and a union, and a fellowship, and a friendship, a camarade. And then he comes to verse 11, and he said, these things, that, that is, these things I, I, I've been saying about me living inside of you, and these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Do you ever think of Jesus beside himself with joy? And he says that, when he contemplates his dwelling inside of us and we inside of him, then his joy is overflowing. So he shared it with us in order that our joy might be made full because we've tapped into his joy that agape has 
made its full end. Or, or the parables that Jesus told in Luke 15, you know, where he depicts the shepherd who finds the lost sheep. That is, his goal has been fulfilled. He's found the sheep which was lost. And incidentally, lost means something so precious you can't live until you found it. Um, and, and so he picks up the sheep, puts it around his shoulders, you remember, and he goes home shouting to anybody who can hear, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep which was lost. And of course, the, the father, when the prodigal comes home, flings his arms around him, clothes him, shoes him, rings him, and then ushers him into the feast for dancing and music and singing. Um, do, do you get the picture? Agape is ecstasy of joy, which is ours too through the Holy Spirit. God shares his joy with us. Now, what, what this is saying is the love of God has been made manifest. We, we've seen it. We're in the giving of Jesus, the Son of God. So, so, the final definition, the final manifestation of love is in Jesus. Who is, it's the gift of his Son. Gift of his son. And of course, son uh, of God, um, that, that's a Hebrew expression which essentially means same as, the same way as you birth your, your children and leaving out that they started after you, the fact is they are uh, one with who you are. So you are human, and to the very depth of your being, your humanness, your humanity is, is now that child. So that child is your child because it's same as, same as. That child is as human as you are human, co-equal with you as a human being. And when we come to God the Son, then that means, it doesn't mean he started after the Father. It means that he is co-equal with the Father. He is God from God, even as your child is human from human. He is God from God. He comes out of God. And when I say that, I again, I grope for words that he comes out from God. That is, he doesn't stand beside God and tell us what he sees or reports on something he heard. That wouldn't help us too much. The prophets did that. It takes us so far, but only so far. He doesn't, doesn't come from a, a great fellowship with God, as wonderful as that would be. It still would not get us where we're... we're. Agape wants us inside Agape wants us to know God as God, love. And, and that's not something I can pick up from the outside. And so, Jesus, Son of God, it means he came out from God, right from the very being, the heart of God. Out comes Jesus, and the Greek word for that is ek, E-K, Ek, out from, out from the heart of. And he comes and he joins the human race. He who is God from God in the womb of the Virgin Mary took to himself our humanness. And he is born an authentic human being without ever ceasing to be God. And so as to his person, he is God the Son, who now is a genuine human being without ceasing to be God. So, wow, this, this beats Isaiah, doesn't it? This, this is far more than Ezekiel. They were prophets who got close and they made their reports. So this is what they heard, this is what they saw, and they think God is like this. But... 
No, this isn't a report on God. This isn't about God. This is God himself inside our humanness to show us what God really is like and to achieve the goal of agape and then to lay hold upon us to one with us so that he becomes our sin. He takes our death and takes us and death to death and then rises out from death and carries human with him and carries us to the Father. That's so... We then come into God. So he came ek, out from God, that we might in him come en, into God. That's the way it is. And, And of course that had to be in the sense... See, we've got back to love again. If, if God is love, and if he is communicating his love to us, well, he couldn't send somebody else. That'd be daft, wouldn't it? God, God is love. I mean, any lover, even human love, if, if you would express love to the beloved you go yourself. See, some people think that Jesus was just an unusual prophet. Well, as I've said, that wouldn't help us anyway. But just look at it for a moment. You, you mean God loves us but didn't come himself. He sent a prophet, another human, huh, who needed to know his love the same as I do. That wouldn't work. And others believe that Jesus, yes, they say he's not really human. He is the first and great creation of God. God made Jesus to do stuff for him. Okay, so a prophet is just another human with a few insights. And if Jesus was created specially by God, well, he's neither God nor man. But both cases outside of God... Not God. It would be as if your lover sent you a monkey with a baller of roses. And no, if God loves us, so God comes Himself. He doesn't send a proxy. God came Himself in the person of Jesus, and that's where the love of God is made manifest. And in that, he, God, unites with the human so perfectly. Well, that's, that is what agape was after. And Jesus now is the way. He's the path. He's the door right into the heart of the Father for every human. Because he is God who's taken human and says, I'm carrying human. The Father sent me to get you, and I've got you. And now in the strength and empowerment of the Spirit, here we go. I take you into the Father. Because I'm one with you, and I'm one with the Father. Here we go. And so he brings us to the Father. Do do you realize the importance that places upon you? No, not important. Vast worth out of all creation. God came to become one of us. God came to be our brother and said he came specifically to carry us with him into the heart of the Father. You can never doubt your worth your importance to God ever again. And it says it's God's gift. He, he gave, he gave. Father gifts the Son. The Son comes willingly. And by the way, if the Father gave, then the Father is absolutely one with Jesus in this plan Because you know there's many out there, who are there many, who believe that the Father didn't like you. 
In fact, I heard a very famous evangelist say right here in San Antonio that the father was disgusted with you, repulsed, and couldn't stand the sight of you. I was amazed when everybody said amen. Uh, no, I nearly threw up. Um, the father. So what was Jesus doing? Oh, whether well, Jesus came to change the mind of the father about you. What blasphemy? The father is love. And he sent the Son, who is love. This is a glorious conspiracy. Father and Son and the Holy Spirit is the gift. Jesus didn't come to change the Father's mind about you. He didn't come so that a father with an anger problem could take out his anger on Jesus. Who do you worship? What monster? No, the Father loves you, and love sent the Son, and the Son loves you and reveals the Father's love and gives the Holy Spirit who is love in dynamic action to bring you to this union relationship. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he didn't change the Father's mind. He came to change your mind. Jesus changed our mind. That's the meaning of repentance, change of mind. We see God now as he truly is, revealed to us, manifested, the curtains thrown back, the lie shredded. And we see the Father as he really is in the face and person of Jesus. And it's his gift. It's his gift. You see, gift. There's no external pressure in a gift. A gift is the act of sheer joy because it's freely arising from the heart of the giver. And so he, God gave. There's no pressure. His eyes danced with joy. He poured his love upon us in giving us the gift. And, of course, you can't pay for a gift, can you? That would be an insult. Have you ever imagined that? They give you this, this beautiful gift and you get out your checkbook and say, how much? That's an insult. No, you cannot. In, in fact, the words pay, earn, deserve, they are redundant words, irrelevant. Unmet, don't ever mention those in the heavens because they, they don't exist there. They're the miserable words of earth. No, you can't pay for God's gift. Huh. And in fact, a gift means that the cost has been absorbed by the giver. Okay, put it this way. One does not earn the gift by trusting the giver or the gift. Yes, you heard me right. I said you do not earn the gift by trusting the giver. I mean, a gift is a gift is a gift. By the time we're calling it a gift, it's done. It's a finished fact. It's already wrapped. It's got your name on it. It's a gift. And it's there, a gift. You don't earn it or deserve it because you believe in the giver. The gift is there. The gift was complete with your name on it prior to your even having knowledge that it was coming. Huh. So when you believe the giver and the gift, that does not empower the gift. The gift was empowered before you even knew it was there. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Your faith doesn't make that happen. That, that's what it is. And if you don't want the gift and reject the gift and mock the gift, that does in no way disempower it. It still sits there with your name on it, throbbing with the power of God unto salvation. Whatever you believe about God's gift does not change it in any way. In fact, to believe, trust the giver and receive the gift is because both he and the gift 
is there to receive. You didn't make it happen. You see, the gift is Jesus. And he, the gift, is complete. That is, his entrance into the human race was perfect. We still haven't gotten over it, the marvel of it. His revealing of the Father, it's complete. We, we, we know the Father now. He that has seen me said, Jesus has seen the Father. And when he died, he said, it is finished. And when he rose from the dead, he said, I'm taking you to my Father. It's done. It's complete. It's finished. 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 Done. Nothing can be added to that. Nor can you take anything away. It sits there. The glorious elephant in the room sits there. What are you going to do about it? It's done. It's finished. Love has come. Love has achieved its end without any help from you because love just loved you and did everything for you. So my faith doesn't complete it. All I can do is say thank you and receive it. Receive it. What happens when, when, I, when I receive the gift? then I am united to all that the gift achieved. I cease to be lost. Do you remember John 3.16 where it says that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life? I, I don't know why they translated that perish. I don't know. It's got a sort of doom about it. There's perish. Because that's not the, the, the original language that John wrote that in, the word there that we've translated perish is the same word that's in Luke chapter 15 where it's translated lost. Now, why did they say perish? I wish they hadn't because it's much clearer to say that to believe upon Jesus, then I receive for myself everything that was for me already done in the gift of Jesus and I cease to be lost. And if I refuse, well, the gift doesn't sulk and get frustrated and go away and say, oh, well, I guess you've got to later. No, love never fails. Love isn't going to, after all of this, he's just going to go away because you said no. He will pursue you and pursue you and pursue you. Relentless love will confront you in every possible way in all of life. As you continue to wander in the dark, in the presence of the light of God. But he'll never quit. Never quit. When the younger son came home, the father, you are my son, and embraces him. And takes him home. Do you remember the elder brother? Now, he rejected the father's love. No question about that. Actually, he rejected it more strongly than did the younger brother. So what does the father say to him? <laughs> he said, I quote, My dear little child, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. And it is the most obvious, natural thing to do for you and I to go in there and celebrate with your brother. No, no, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought the, the father is supposed to condemn this son for his rejection. No, love never quits. Love can't be put off. Put nails through his hands and a crown of thorns on his head. And what will he say to you, father? Forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. Love never fails. Well, there it is. There it is. Well, no, it isn't there it is. This is a good beginning point for you to now sit back and let the Holy Spirit open your eyes and let the love of God be poured out in your heart. Father, let your blessing of enlightenment come upon every person that has heard these words. 
Open the eyes of our heart to see your love. And in seeing your love, be transformed into full members of your family. So, I send that blessing in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.